looking at verses 28 down through verse number 48, Luke 19, 28 to 48. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem and as we approach the last chapters of Luke's gospel, things begin to heat up, so to speak. And today we're going to see three primary misunderstandings that the Jews had, three misunderstandings that they had, and these misunderstandings cultivate or culminate in a powerful correction and rebuke from Jesus as He cleanses the temple. And then that results in the Jews seeking to destroy, seeking to destroy Jesus, and it will only intensify next week. For the sake of time, we're going to walk through the text as we go. In Luke chapter 19, we see the first misunderstanding in verse 28, beginning in verse number 28. There was a misunderstanding of Jesus. There was a misunderstanding of Jesus. In verse number 28, it says, After he had said these things... These things were the parable he told last week of the minas. He was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. We all know why. They didn't understand that at the time, but he knows, Jesus knows why, and he set his face to go up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, let's think about what he says here, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Now, we don't think much about this, but that would be kind of like if Jesus lived today saying, Listen, guys, I want you to go to Murfreesboro, and there you're going to see a car that's unoccupied parked in someone's driveway. I want you to just open the door, get in it, and bring it to me. I mean, is he telling them to go steal a, a colt here? It's one of the accusations that's been leveled at Jesus. Look at verse 31. If, if, now let's just set the record straight this morning that Jesus never had to use the word if. There were no ifs with Jesus. He knew. But for their sake, for for humanity's sake, In our finite mind's sake, he says, If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away, and they found it just as he had told them. How did they find it? Just as he had told them. There were no ifs. Jesus knew what they were going to find. Jesus knew how they were going to find it. And he knew that not only would they find the colt, but they would find the owner too. Just as he had said, his if anyone asked you became a when someone asked you. And he was not surprised. Look in verse 33. They were untying the colt. Its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. End of discussion. We don't know if they knew the Lord. Maybe they had met him. They knew who he was. They knew his disciples. It doesn't give us any of those answers. We just know that there was a period at the end of the Lord has need of it, so they settled it. 
They brought it to Jesus in verse 35, and look at what happens. They threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And we know this was a donkey's colt from other Gospels. They put Jesus on it. In verse 36, as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, does it not seem odd that the same people who are greeting him with such excitement today, many of them would be yelling, crucify him, less than a week later. What made them shift gears so fast? One reason was the fact that they misunderstood the Messiah. They misunderstood Jesus. That's our first misunderstanding. They all thought that Messiah would enter Jerusalem and by His mighty works take over the throne and make Israel free from Rome. We saw this last week. If you look back in verse number 11 of Luke chapter 19, we saw that in verse 11, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Why? Because He was near Jerusalem. And because he was near Jerusalem, it signaled something in the minds of all of these Jews. They supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. It signaled in their mind that maybe now the Messiah is going to do what we know he's going to do. Maybe he's going to do what we expect him to do and overthrow Rome. Set up his throne in the temple. Free us Jews from our oppression. They're expecting a military leader who would physically free them from their oppressors. And they were disappointed when they found out that he just came to save them from their sin. And some of us chuckle. Some of us chuckle at that. How foolish, how ridiculous that is. But how many of us get more excited over our political victories than the fact that Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. How many of us get more excited over comforts that we can find in Jesus? Prosperity that we can find in Jesus. Pleasures that we find in Jesus. Our physical comfort that we find in Jesus. Then we get excited over the fact that He's come to conquer your favorite sin. We're not a dime's worth of difference. We praise Jesus when He gives us a promotion. We praise Jesus when our political candidate gets into office. We praise Jesus when we get a good report at the doctor. We praise Jesus when we get a pay raise. But when we sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my cornerstone. My solid ground. We don't get excited about those things. Those those are church things. Those are things we have to smile and we have to sing. Are we different? Do we misunderstand Jesus? At this moment, they're praising Him. But in a moment, 
they'll be yelling, crucify him. And they're not the only ones that misunderstood Jesus. Look in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. There's a clear disagreement here. The Pharisees do not like the fact that Jesus' followers are praising him and leading others to do the same. Jesus, don't you see that your disciples are leading people astray? They are, they are calling people to praise you. They tell Jesus to stop them. After all, no mere man would be comfortable with people worshiping him in this way, would he? No mere man would be comfortable with so many groupies gathered around him singing his praises. And that is exactly the point. Jesus is no mere man. Look in verse 40. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. If I stop them from praising me, the very rocks will do it because I must be praised. What kind of mere man says something like that? Jesus will be praised. Do not miss this. The whole design of the universe is that Christ be praised. The whole design of the universe, the whole purpose of the church is that Christ be praised. Fast forward over to Revelation chapter 5 real quick. Revelation chapter number 5. Now, Revelation 4, we have a picture of God the Father seated upon the throne, shining like a diamond, surrounded by an emerald rainbow. There's four unimaginable beasts that are worshiping Him and saying, Holy, holy, holy. There's 24 elders that are throwing their crowns at His feet, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. All attention is focused on the one shining like a diamond from the throne of heaven. In Revelation chapter 5, one enters the scene who appears to be like a lamb slain. And look at what happens in verse number 8 of Revelation chapter 5 when he had taken the book. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They turned their attention from the throne with the Father to the Lamb. And not only that, they each had a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the book to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then in verse 11, I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The beast and the 24 elders turned their attention to the lamb. And when they began to sing his praises, myriads and myriads of angels joined them in the praise of Jesus. And then in verse 13, every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. I want you to know not only do the beasts worship Jesus and the elders worship Jesus and myriads upon myriads of angels worship Jesus but the birds in the heaven will sing 
His praise. The frogs in the pond will croak His praise. The cows in the field will low His praise. The fish in the sea will surface to sing the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in all of creation culminates in the worship and the praise of Jesus. And the Pharisees missed it. Shut them up, Jesus. Shut them up. Oh, you can't shut them up. The rocks will cry out. There was a major misunderstanding about who Jesus was. The worshipers thought He was the Messiah who would conquer Rome. The Pharisees thought He was a mere man who gloated on the praise of men. And they both missed it. I wonder how many of us miss Jesus. We have a tendency to create a Jesus we like, a Jesus we agree with, and social media has done nothing but fuel that because we get in our echo chambers. We unfollow people we don't like to follow. I do. I think I got 1,500 friends and I follow three. We unfollow who we don't want to hear from. We like what we agree with. It's just like an echo chamber, right? You don't say the same thing I do. I block you. I unfollow you. And, and we all hear each other agreeing. And we don't, we don't think. So we have a tendency to let our lives and our preferences and our opinions and our likes and our dislikes, all of the things we prefer, shape a Jesus that we really like. A Jesus we agree with. A Jesus who becomes our personal bellhop. But how much of our Jesus do we really get from Scriptures? How much of our Jesus do we really get directly from the Scriptures? We may get some of the real Jesus from the pastor or the Sunday school teacher. But I want you to hear me very clearly. If you are watching 70 hours of television each week, which is the average... If you're watching 70 hours of television each week while staring at your smartphone and you seldom, if ever, crack open a Bible, ignorance of Jesus Christ will characterize you. I don't care if you come to church every Sunday. Truth be told, we may be so ignorant of the biblical Jesus that if He showed up today, we might miss Him completely or might want to crucify Him all over again if we could. You know, the Pharisees knew the prophets. The Pharisees knew the law. The Pharisees knew about Messiah. The scribes knew about the Messiah. They knew better than anyone what the Scriptures taught. And in John chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27, when Jesus came on the scene to be baptized by John the Baptist, John said to them, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Who should have known Jesus better than the Pharisees? Who should have known Jesus better than the Jewish leaders? And yet John says, he's right in the middle of you and you don't even know him. And I wonder what can be said of us churches in the West, in the 21st century, that saturate our minds with garbage all week long for for the sake of entertainment. Jesus could drop right in the middle of most of us and we'd recognize a Kardashian before we'd recognize him. The 
Pharisees and the followers missed it. And this misunderstanding brought about the murder of Jesus just a few days later. And the destruction of Jerusalem 40 years later. And Jesus saw it all coming. He misunderstood Jesus. Secondly, they misunderstood Jerusalem. Verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you. Listen to what Jesus is saying. There's coming a day when your enemies are going to throw up a barricade against you. They're going to barricade you in. And surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You missed me. You misunderstood me. And now you're going to be barricaded in. You're going to be leveled. You're going to suffer. They misunderstood Jerusalem. These Jews thought that Jerusalem would be the center of the world. I know I may disagree with a lot of what you think and believe about Jerusalem, but I'm going to tell you it is not the center of the world, people. And if you'll just bear with me, I'll show you why before the sermon ends. But just know they thought Jerusalem was the center of the world. The temple was going to be the place for all together to worship the Messiah and sacrifice and celebrate, but they misunderstood Jerusalem. Jesus knew what the future held, and he wept. He knew that 40 years later, in A.D. 70, Jerusalem would be besieged. It would be walled in. It would be barricaded, and it would be destroyed by the Romans. He knew that in A.D. 70, their children within them would suffer. In one village alone, the Romans took captive 1,200 women and children. He knew that their city would be leveled. During the course of these events in A.D. 70, some 40,000 people were slain. Temple was leveled. And Jesus saw it all coming and he wept. They would be surprised in AD 70 because they thought Jerusalem was the center of the world and the temple was the center of worship. But they would be destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans, not as a surprise to Jesus, not as a oops, I didn't see that one coming. For Jesus, but because of his sovereign plan that he had decreed before the foundations of the earth. The Jews rejected Jesus and therefore Old Testament Judaism must be put to an end. We should not celebrate the blog posts that say they're about ready to start sacrificing again. We don't want them to sacrifice again because the sacrifice has already been offered in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's no greater sacrifice where there's a red heifer or a spotless lamb. Jesus has been sacrificed. That's the only sacrifice they need. Jesus put an end to that when he decreed their destruction. There would be no temple. There would be no priests. There would be no sacrifices. There would be no Pharisees. There would be no Sadducees. His people. His people would be His priest. And He would be their high priest. His people would be their temple. His temple. His people would be His temple. And He would be their sacrificial lamb. 
Jesus had decreed this from eternity past, but he wept. He felt for Jerusalem. It broke his heart, what would come to pass, because of his great compassion for his people. But at the same time, it brought him great joy because of the great glory he was going to receive as things moved from come to Jerusalem, to the temple, to go into all the world. As things moved, the center would no longer be Jerusalem. Hear me. The center would be the global church. You know the center? You want to know the center of the world? It's not Jerusalem. The center is the church. The church of Jesus Christ. Bought with His blood. Redeemed by His sacrifice. Reconciled to the Father. And sent out to the ends of the earth. Don't miss that Jesus' heart broke with compassion for people. But it surged with joy because of the great glory He was going to receive as as things moved from come to Jerusalem to the temple to see, to go and to all the world and tell people about what I've done. The center is no longer Jerusalem. The center is the church. They misunderstood Jerusalem. They misunderstood, thirdly and finally, the nations. They misunderstood the nations. Verse 45, Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, And my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him, and they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on to every word he said. Jesus goes from coming into Jerusalem to the praise of his disciples, to the rebuke of the Pharisees, to weeping over the future of Jerusalem, to now marching into the temple, turning over the tables of the money changers, turning over the the cages that held the animals and running them out of the temple. This was not a warning against having rummage sales in the church. You completely and utterly miss the point if this is about having rummage sales in the church. Now, I could give you about 50 reasons why it may not be wise to have a rummage sale in the church, but this isn't one of them. This is not about rummage sales. This is a rebuke of their blatant rejection of the fact that the one true God is concerned with the nations. Think about the temple courts. What do you have? You walk into the first temple court, and it's the court of the Gentiles. It's where people like us, outsiders, people who were not Jews, could come to the temple to worship God. Remember, it was a come to Jerusalem, come to the temple, come and see religion. The outer court was for the Gentiles to come and worship. They could not go beyond that outer court because when you entered into the next court, that was the court of the Jewish women. That's where women who were Jews could worship, but they could not go beyond that because then you moved into the inner court, which was the court of the Jewish men. Only Jewish men could gather in that inner court. In that court, you would also find the holy place where the priests would offer sacrifices, where the priests would minister, where the priests would do their thing. And inside of that was the holy place, the holiest of holies, where the high priest would enter. Do you think that these Jews set up their money-changing tables, which were needed 
Because people from all around would come to Jerusalem to see, come to Jerusalem and worship. And if you're coming from Ethiopia, you need currency that can be spent in Jerusalem. So the money changing tables were needed. You couldn't haul a spotless lamb from Ethiopia. So you needed these places that would sell these sacrificial animals. It would sell the cheaper animals. It would sell the more expensive animals. You needed these things. But do you think they set up these needed things in the holy of holies? We all know they didn't, right? They, they didn't set it up in the holy place, did they? What about the court of Jewish men? Do you think they set up all of their tables and their wares in the court of Jewish men? What about the court of Jewish women? Do you think they would have set it up there in the court of Jewish women? Where do you think they set up their money-changing tables and their animals? The court of the Gentiles. They had a needed ministry. A viable ministry. An important ministry. In the wrong place. And they filled up the court of the Gentiles with their money-changing tables and with their animals. And Jesus comes in and he wrecks havoc. And why does he wreck havoc? Because my house shall be a house of prayer. And in the other Gospels, we see him add these words, my house shall be a house of prayer for what? All the nations. All the nations, not just you Jewish men, not just you Jewish women, but for all the nations. Now get your junk out of the Gentiles' court so that they can worship me. And it went over great. They said, oh, we see the error of our ways. We received that rebuke, Lord, in humility. And what did they want to do? They wanted to destroy him. They have basically barred the Gentiles from the worship of the one true God. And when Jesus said no, they wanted to destroy him for it. The Jews absolutely loathed the thought of the nations, the Gentiles, being brought into the kingdom. And you don't believe it. Paul's ministry begins some years later, some decades later. He winds up getting himself into trouble, which is what Paul tended to do best. And in Acts chapter 21 and 22, Paul gives a long defense to a crowd of Jews. The last verse, towards the end of Acts 21, in verse 40, as he's about to give his defense, listen to what it says. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, and when there was a great hush... He spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, so they go from angry, ready to get him, to a great hush. He's going to give his testimony. And for 20 verses, he waxes eloquent in the midst of silence. But in verse 21, he said something. And in that one verse, things go from a holy hush to havoc. From zero to 60. From silent to violent. Look at what happens in verse 22. Acts 22, 22. They listened to him up to this statement in verse 21. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now what kind of horrible thing would Paul say that would make them want to kill him? Verse 21 simply says this. He said to me, Go. For I will send you far away 
to the Gentiles. They absolutely loathed the thought of the nations, the Gentiles being brought into the kingdom. What about us? Are we absolutely indifferent to people who are not like us? Who don't look like us? Who don't dress like us? Who don't think like us? Who don't vote like us? So we put up our barriers and we say only these kind of people are welcome here. Only these kind of people on the economic spectrum are welcome here. Only these kind of people are welcome to worship here. There's other churches. There's other places. So we bar people from worshiping that are different than us. And maybe even on a more serious level, we bar the kingdom from the least reached people on planet earth with our silence and our selfishness. Romans 10, 12 to 15. Listen to what the Bible says. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Do you hear that? There is no distinction in the kingdom of God and the church of God between the Jew and the Greek. Between the red, the yellow, the black, and the white, there should be no distinction whatsoever. If we focus on our distinctions, we're missing it. We need to focus on Christ who who brings us all together into one family. Regardless of our culture. Regardless of where we came from. There is no distinction. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved There's no qualifications there. Red, yellow, black, and white, male, female, rich, poor. How then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are what? Sent. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. We must make it our ambition to pray, to give, to go, to spend, to send. Or we might be guilty of barring the temple from the nations. All of this honestly comes down to Jesus being praised. All of this comes down to Jesus being worshipped, not just in Jerusalem at the temple by the Jews, but by all nations and all peoples everywhere. And the Jews should not have been ignorant of this mission and this goal of bringing glory and worship to Christ. Psalm 96, verses 3 through 10, in their scriptures, told them, That that was the goal. Look at Psalm 96, verse 3. Tell of His glory among who? The Jews. Tell of His glory among the nations. His His wonderful deeds among people just like us. No. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. You worship Buddha? You worship Allah? You worship Baal? 
You worship your hundreds and hundreds of deities in the Hindu religion. There's one God who's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. I love this. He goes from nations to peoples to families. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. That's missions. Saying among the nations, there is one God and He reigns. And His name is Jesus Christ. We just come full circle. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey colt. He's going to return on a white horse. He came the first time, preceded by the coats and the cloaks of his disciples. He'll come again, preceded by those who have had part in the first resurrection and with a host of mighty angels. He came the first time to the hostility of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jews and the religious leaders. When he comes again, he will destroy his opposition with a single word. He came the first time to the praises of a feeble band of disciples. To a feeble band of Jews. But when he comes again, he will be praised by people from every nation, every tongue, Every tribe and every people group. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If this is not our heart, If this is not our passion, we might just misunderstand Jesus. Jerusalem and the nations. Do you really know Him? The last thing I want for us is to be guilty as the Jews were guilty of missing the day of our visitation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If your passion isn't Jesus' passion, do you really even know the real Jesus? Would you bow with me? As we enter into a spirit of prayer, Andy will be up front. Michael will be up here. If you need someone to pray with you, if you can come to this altar right now and pray if you are moved by the Lord or if you need counsel, guidance, or direction, come take one of these guys by the hand. They'll be glad to pray with you. But I want to ask you, as we reflect on what we've read, as we reflect on what we've heard, do you have the passion of Jesus do you really know Jesus I know I say it every week because I can't say anything more 
There's nothing more I can say. There's no other drum I can beat. But the reality that Jesus Christ came to this earth to live the life God requires of each one of us, the life of sinless perfection. He checked every single box necessary for us to go to heaven. He did it for us in our place. And then He took our guilt, He took our sin, He took our punishment upon Himself. And there God the Father judged our sin in its fullness to the fullest in Christ on the cross until Jesus could say, it's done, it's finished, it has been paid in full. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. On Sunday morning, He rose from the grave, triumphant over death, over hell, and over the grave, so that anyone in this place, under the sound of my voice, or listening online, or listening sometime in the future, can repent of your sin, turn from your old attitudes, affections, and actions, and turn to Jesus Christ by faith in what He did for you on the cross, and you can be saved. If I were to offer you a thousand pounds of gold in exchange for all your trash, only a fool, only a fool would reject that offer. It is as if God the Father is offering you an infinite amount of gold. The perfect, sinless, spotless righteousness of Jesus in exchange for your trash, your sin, only a fool would not make that swap. And it's offered to you today if you'll fall on your face and repent. Throw yourself on His mercy and grace and call upon His name until you have assurance that you've been made a new creation. That your heart of stone has been removed and it's been replaced with a heart of flesh. Do you know Him? Don't you want to be a part of what He's doing from here to the ends of the earth? I know we say we exist to make disciples who make disciples from here to the ends of the earth every Sunday, but is that your passion? Is that your goal? Is that the driving force within you? It's our prayer that it is. Listen. I'm going to pray for you. If you need counsel or guidance or direction, don't leave this place without grabbing one of us. We'll be glad to talk to you. If you need to respond, now's the time. You can come and grab Andy, grab Michael, come to this altar, whatever the Lord leads you to do. Don't leave this place without doing business with King Jesus. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your word that explains to us who you are, your goals, and your mission, how we can be a part of it. God, I pray that you would show us where we stand with you. Give us assurance that we are yours. Or convict us that we're not. God, we pray that not a person would leave this place without knowing Christ. God, give us a passion and a desire to be a part of what you are doing on this earth. The bringing people 
into your kingdom by the proclamation of your gospel. Help us to recommit our hearts and our lives to pray for the nations, to give, to go, to spend and to send with your great commission in mind. Help us not to bar the kingdom from the nations and from those not like us, but proclaim your gospel. We ask you to help us and to work in our lives in Jesus' name.